Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Recovery Central. Morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Richard. And how are we this week? I'm all right this week. I'm, yeah, I think I'm all right. Yeah. Well, sometimes that's enough, isn't it? Yeah, that's it's, it. I think I've done all right, and I've got through the week, and there's been no great histrionics, there's been no great tragedy, there's been no great overreaction to anything, and I react as well as I can to the things that I'm presented with. But I think I'm just trying to look for problems, because I'm just used to them back in the... You know, in the past, and for some reason I've got none. I'm like, hmm. Very common in early recovery that yeah. if I've reached a point of some stability after a few months or so, mm-hmm. and at this point I'm not encountering the daily stream of problems that I used to but seem to have when yeah. I was drinking, and because of that I start looking for them, and the alcoholic in me wants to find them because yeah. the alcoholic in me wants me to have a drink. Mm. And it's when we get carried away with that 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 happens. Oh, that's it. If you think about them, that's likely to happen, isn't it? And looking for problems is not a productive thing to do. You have to take each day as it comes. And if there's a problem, there's a problem. If there isn't, there isn't. Mm -hmm. I count myself very lucky when I get a day where nothing is problematic. Because usually there's something that doesn't go seamlessly. Mm. Took over an hour to get in on the bus today. Yeah, they're posh problems, aren't they? And yeah, okay, it's a pain, but it's not the end of the world. I always make sure I've got time stored up in advance. But anyway, little Dickie Bird told me that your year has just passed. Yes, it must have been a little Dickie Bird because I don't like to celebrate. But yeah, one year has passed, so just over one year sober now, so it can be done. Because of course you were in hospital before you came. Well, yeah, I was, yeah. I was uh, in in um, treatment, weren't you? I was in hospital and it was literally a case of, you, you've got to do it. So I did it and here I am today. And was that detox? Well, no, I had to go into hospital because I had a split spleen. And basically, I was rushed to hospital. And I remember getting in the ambulance. And then I remember waking up on the hospital bed after having been resuscitated. And I remember looking up at the side of the resuscitation room saying, am I in this room because all the beds are full because of COVID? They said, no, because you've just been resuscitated. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. So, yeah, that was my journey into recovery. (laughs) Well, it's a safe way to do it, to go via hospital straight into treatment, yeah, isn't yeah. it? I had my detox in the hospital. Yeah, that come free with the operation. It's a result, though, and however it comes about, to get to a year is no mean achievement. Because yeah. many people will go through rehab and come through the process and not get that far. Yeah. Or not get that far without having done very much. And we really do have to engage in whatever way is possible. Well, yeah, that's what I've done. I've learned to take the cotton wool out of the ears and put it in my mouth. And not everything is going to be easy and there are always going to be little rocks along the way, but Mm -hmm. that's just living and it's finding a way to live that doesn't involve resorting to drinking drugs all the time. And so to get to a year means that you have made some significant shift in the way that you are living. Yeah, well, they definitely listened and they definitely used the tools that I was given in rehab, in the treatment centre, and luckily I remembered when I was having low points that actually this is why they taught me the things they taught me in the treatment oh, absolutely. to deal with situations like this and I know I blather on about routine and all that stuff all the time but the, the fact is it's some of that fundamental day to day stuff that actually gets you to yeah. these landmarks Yeah. and a year is a very long time mm. to manage in recovery when you've been out there for 20, 30 before that yeah, yeah it was 25 years for me, like which takes some doing anyway this week what do we have this week ah I think there may be more denial involved. Oh. Well, there usually is, isn't well, there? there? Always is, isn't There's it? usually some form of denial, delusion, projection, mm-hmm. because this is what happens and this is the nature of the disease. So let's have a letter. 
Dear Jim, Jack and Jess, I seem to have backed myself into a corner, so I might need some help getting out of it. Normally I can weasel my way out of anything, but this is a bit tricky, even for me. I'm brilliant at blagging, but this time there's hard evidence. So, I'd better explain. I lost my driving licence two years ago because I was found unconscious at the wheel having driven into a lamppost. Because I had no previous, a credit to my blagging skills more than anything else, I got off with a fine and a three-year ban. Up until recently, this hasn't been a problem. I can either get a lift to work or I travel on the train, which I like, because it means I have a good excuse for going to the pub on my way home. However, my wife has developed RSI due to her working commitments and conditions, and while we sought out suing her employer, I've been doing a bit of the driving. We'd always agreed that if we had an accident, we'd swap seats and say she was driving, or we'd claim one of us had a burst appendix, so we're going to hospital because there was no chance of an ambulance. However, because this recent incident was caught on CCTV, we can't really get away with that, can we? I wasn't really concentrating on the road, and I swerved to avoid a small child who was wandering off the pavement, which caused me to drive into the outside display of a local grocer's. Me and the wife got out of the car, only for the grocer to accuse me of negligence and dangerous driving. When I told him she was driving, he said I wouldn't get away with that because he'd caught me on camera. I panicked, obviously, so we drove quickly away before the police arrived. What am I supposed to do? What do I say to the police? My mate Dave says if I tell the court that I'm an alcoholic, then they might send me to rehab instead of prison. Is that true? Not that I think I'm an alcoholic or that I should be going to prison, mind, but I do need to find a way out of this, if only for the sake of my wife, because she doesn't like going out on her own. Please help, Terry. Sounds like he's going to rehab whether he likes it or not, but for the wrong reasons. I think it might be a compulsory order, mm. that one. Mm -hmm. It's astonishing, isn't it? The justification. All revolves around the misuse of alcohol, then he's crashed into a lamppost, lost his licence, and now... And he tries not to mention it about the crashing into the lamppost, doesn't he? Mm, he tries not to say, I was drunk. Mm, quick swoop. Um, As if normal people will be found unconscious at the wheel, having gone into a lamppost. Mm -hmm. And then he's saying, oh, because she's got RSI, I'm doing a bit of the driving. So that's all right then. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because his wife doesn't like going out on her own, so obviously he's got to go with her. I wondered if he'd have a drink when he was driving there as well. And in front of this grocer, mm. trying to swap seats, <laughs> in front of an audience, on CCTV, yeah, let's swap seats. No one's going to know. And then just to do a runner afterwards, I don't know. So they've got it all on camera and... And he's on a three-year ban. Yeah, which is uh, obviously not a good thing, so he's definitely... Uh, I'd be trying to plea bargain rehab if I was his lawyer. Of course. Which would probably involve an order that would mean he'd have to stay yeah. under the supervision of a rehab for a couple of years, I would think. Mm. And he's not going to get his licence back for a long time, is no, he? No. You know, but it'll work out for the best for him in the end, doesn't it? But again, this is about responsibility. Divine intervention. I'm not responsible for the fact that I'm a very dangerous driver. Mm. I'm doing this because my wife can't drive because of her RSI. Mm -hmm. it, it's very unfortunate that I've gone and got a three-year ban because normally I'm brilliant at blagging mm -hmm. and normally I can get away with everything. Oh, shit, it's not working this time. I need a different story. And then, of course, as soon as he says, can I go to rehab to get out of going to prison, he's straight into, not that I think I'm an alcoholic. Not that he thinks, yeah. 
and I'm just going to go in for a bit because then that will shut everyone up. And it's that mentality, isn't it, of I can shut everyone up just by going into rehab for a while. Mm-hmm. And if I do that, then everyone's going to say, oh, you're right now. Yeah. And then he's going to try and blag his licence back and yeah. actually nothing is going to change. My guess is he's going to end up behind the wheel of a car again before he's legally allowed to do so anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's just not learnt, has he? Again, it's the denial of personal responsibility. It's the everyone else is making his life inconvenient. Making his life inconvenient. He wants to be responsible and get away with it. He doesn't want the consequences for what he's done. No, he's trying to say, because I'm helping my wife, mm-hmm. therefore I'm not doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. You're on a three-year ban, mate. Well, yeah. Catch a taxi. <laughs> Actually, I think going into rehab is probably the best thing that... I do as well, and I think even if he does go in just because it will let him off with not having to go to prison, he might realise that he is actually an alcoholic in there, go through the process, and who knows? Yeah, and some people arrive for the wrong reasons and stay for the right ones. And there are many of those. There are many people who will go in thinking, am I really an addict? Am I really an alcoholic? And then over time, they will go with it and find out that actually maybe they did need it after all. Even though they thought they didn't. That's my story. In which case, you're one of many. Mm-hmm. I think there are different entry points with rehab. When I went in, I knew that there was something radically wrong with my drinking. But then I'd been in and out of treatment processes for a long time. Mm-hmm. When I first went to an AA meeting, I went there to prove that I wasn't an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And then I went to one treatment place 17 years ago and that was to get my family off my back. Mm. And then I thought, oh, I better play that I'm an alcoholic, so I'll make sure I don't drink round them. And then they'll think that I'm doing very well and I just want them off my back. And that's the wrong mentality as well. But you can have people that come into a treatment process who are doing it to shut someone else up, but then they get the revelation. And that's why we have a treatment process that lasts a few weeks, not just a couple of weeks. Because it's not just about breaking down denial, it's also about opening the door. This is the truth. Live with it. Mm-hmm. Moving on, I wonder what awaits us next. Yet again, I think this is one that's indicative of the problems that we can create for ourselves in early recovery. Okay. Because we're still exercising a mentality that is more that of being in addiction. So what's missing is the alcohol and drugs, oh, but the behaviour is yes, still there. Yes, yes. And for this to happen, of course, I would stress, is really very normal. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's very normal for people who've been through a rehab process or been through the first three, four months, six months of recovery Mm -hmm. and still act out in a way that they used to when they were off their heads. Mm -hmm. And it's ironing this stuff out takes a lot of time. So, what's happened this time? Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse. Come on, just breathe. It's just that we can deal with this. Why can't you just? Let's be rational here. Yeah, how can you? Slowly you now focus. Again. Mike. Look, the first time I understood. No, I really did. It happens to loads of people. What to keep doing it? It's insane. She's insane. You can't make her stop. But it's so simple. Yes, it is. Why can't you just stop thinking, swear a thought for everyone around her? She's like a one-woman war zone. There's not any thinking going on at the moment, is there? I just don't get it. Get what? Why won't she listen to me? Because she can't hear you. I don't know what you mean. No. What am I doing now? Right, are we calm now? I just... You two left rehab 18 months ago, yeah? 
Yeah, about that. You were in a secret relationship while you were in there, or did they know? Well, sort of. Define sort of. We knew it was going to happen, so we agreed to wait. So you planned it for afterwards? Yeah, you see, if we'd done anything in there, they'd have kicked us out. So you told the staff at the rehab that nothing was going on? It wasn't. Maybe not physically, but... It was happening in your head? I was trying to. And her head? I was trying to do the right thing. The right thing? Yeah. By being dishonest? I wasn't being dishonest, sir. But you were. I don't see... You planned what you were going to do with this relationship after rehab. And you told them there was nothing going on. Am I right? Yeah, I didn't want to break the rules. And by doing that, you wanted to be able to say that you'd passed your time in rehab to keep your family happy, then jump into the relationship as soon as you left. But I thought I was... And how long was it before you moved in together? We did wait. How long? Three months after rehab. So three months after. And did you tell your family what the rehab said about the relationship? What? What did they tell you while you were in there? They were saying it was very risky, a bad idea. And I don't see that how they could do that anyway. And, and, and we was fine until then. Until Fact then. is, most relationships in early recovery don't last. You need to be focusing on recovery first, not another person. But we were. Focusing on recovery or on each other? Well, both. And we were doing well. You were going to meetings together? To begin with, yeah. And when I went back to work, we changed. And you kept going to meetings? Yeah. And did she? I thought she had, but it was only when I spoke to that woman who she said was a sponsor that... You found out she'd stopped going to meetings. Yeah. It's not your fault. But I should have noticed. We often don't. No. Recovery does depend on honesty, after all. I don't see why I can't help her. Let's look at the reality here. Carla moved you into her house within three months of you both leaving rehab. And she has children. Yeah, two. That's difficult in itself. It is. And now I'm looking after the kids because she's smashed from morning, noon till night. You can't stop her doing that. But I'm supposed to be able to help her. We agreed. You agreed what? In rehab, we knew we proved everyone wrong. But just to avoid any unpleasantness or judgment, we decided not to get involved until we were fine and at least free from the rehab. You make it sound like school or even a prison sentence. But they were so judgmental about it. Maybe they were, but statistically they're right. And we agreed we'd stick together through thick and thin. Even if one of you picked up? Yeah, especially that. Especially that? Because she's only going to listen to me if that happens, and vice versa. And is she listening? Well, no, but... She's back in the madness, but you really don't have to go there with her. But I love her. How long have you actually been together again? 18 months. And you're prepared to risk your own recovery for her? I'm only trying to. Leave her to it. Tell her you'll come back when she cleans up and gets sober. Is that it? It's the only answer, and you know it. Well, question is, do you accept it? Well, it's the tangles people get in, isn't it? And it all looks rosy and all of that. And it's the perverse nature of the thinking, isn't it? That he doesn't seem to understand that he's being dishonest. What this guy's got so twisted up Mm -hmm. is he thinks he was actually doing the right thing by agreeing with her not to get in the relationship until after they'd finished rehab. But that's already a And that's so twisted, and Mm -hmm. it's all happening in their heads. They've just decided on this date we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And it means they are being dishonest, but he can't see that that's dishonest. Mm -hmm. And because he's already doing that while he's in there, any more work he's done in there becomes redundant, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? It becomes superfluous. Mm -hmm. Because he's already relapsed waiting to happen, even before he's left. Of course. I've actually been there, done that. Mm. And the result was very predictable. Yeah. Of course, it then went haywire in its own way, but the initial result was very predictable, mm-hmm. and it led to us both picking up. 
And it's that thought process that guides us there because it's like, oh no, I can't get in this relationship because I'm in rehab. Mm -hmm. I've got to tell them that I'm not in it. Mm -hmm. And I can level this in my head that I'm not in it because I'm not doing anything. But I don't understand that actually I'm already deviating from being honest with myself because I'm not being honest with myself about it. It's a slippery slope, isn't it? It's a terrible tangle to get into because it means often that two people land there. Yeah. Chances are you're both going to relapse. And yes, it's highly likely, of course. And then it's a question of picking up the pieces afterwards. Mm-hmm. We have a topic. Uh, now, social calendars. Yeah. When you were in the madness, how was your social calendar? Oh, it's my social calendar. Well, have a guess. Well, it depends which phase. I know that at the beginning that every single day was a celebration day. <laughs> Why are we celebrating today? Well, let's find a reason. But yeah, it got to the point towards the end where I wasn't really socialising. I was kind of me, myself and I. Yeah, and I think it's reaching that point, isn't it? Because if I go right back, when I was a sixth former and a student, mm-hmm. I would always gravitate towards whoever else was celebrating Yeah, and inveigle my way into their group. Mm-hmm. And so when I was at university, I was joining every single society I could find mm-hmm. because I needed something for every night. Every single day. And of course, it was a handful of us were doing this mm-hmm. because there's only a handful of us that wanted to drink every night. You know, sensible people didn't. Mm. And of course, I'm telling myself that actually this isn't a problem mm-hmm. because I've got different people to be with every yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas to anyone watching me, of course it's a problem because I'm the one who's the consistent yeah, fixture in that bar. In and of course there comes a point where that party is supposed to stop but of mm-hmm. course then I go and do a job that's work hard, play hard for a year yeah. I go and do teacher training I end up teaching and even then I'm still looking for this way mm-hmm. of giving myself a social calendar that actually revolves around alcohol mm-hmm. and I did manage to function socially for mm-hmm. some time because mm-hmm. initially it was just the Friday afternoon or the Saturday night yeah. and I would do those things but then there did come a point and I think it comes to us all where it's just me, myself and I like we were saying the other week, how I end up in one room, no matter how big my house yeah, is, yeah. no matter how big my flat is, no matter how much space I actually have, I end up in one room. Just in one room. And no matter how many people are supposedly in my life, it turns out that most of them are just fair weather acquaintances. <laughs> Yeah. They're just people that kind of flit in and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are drunks and some of them are not. Mm-hmm. And of course, people who aren't drunks are not going to stick around watching someone who clearly is a drunk. Mm-hmm. And of course, more and more, I then end up in one space mm-hmm. and I'm watching that television sound turned down and subtitles, and subtitles on. on. Like we were saying a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. I'm doing that. I'm in a one room of a house where I live mm-hmm. and it makes no difference whether I own this house or whether it's just some pokey little flat I've ended up in because I've run out of money mm-hmm. or wherever I end up it's always me myself and I and the only consistent thing with me myself and I is a bottle yeah and that of course is what I don't want back no, oh, no, no because no. It, your entire life devolves into just this one thing mm-hmm. because everything else gets stripped away and what initially for me would have been a relatively active social calendar, if I go back to sort of 20 years ago, mm-hmm. 25 years ago, mm-hmm. it gradually became less and less. And I think back to there were times at work where there would be a social and they wouldn't tell uh, certain yeah. of us. Yeah, yeah. Because they were going out for a civilised meal and they didn't want <laughs> people turning up hammered. 
and I used to think well hey ho at the time and I'd go and start my own party did, yeah just well if we're but not invited was, we'll do this yeah so. and, and it was when I stopped working that initial time you then discover who is actually bothered and mm-hmm. you can count those people on one yeah. hand and of course what they're most bothered about is not seeing me destroy myself mm. so that's part of I think what sent me off into this I must do something I must go through some sort of rehab I must make it look like I'm doing something mm. or I'm going to lose the handful of people I've still yeah, got less, yeah. but of course then when I pick up a drink again by which time the picking up a drink is my social calendar because mm-hmm. I've got all these imaginary friends in mm-hmm. the room where I'm drinking mm-hmm. and I've got all these past events that I'm reworking and rewriting so that I end up the winner yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and every time I come to when I'm conscious I need another drink because yeah. I'm not the winner because you're not the winner and this idea of having a social calendar is something that I get used to again now mm-hmm. because I've actually got things in my diary now mm-hmm strange isn't it <laughs> and over the course of the last four years this has happened I end up with things in my diary I've got people asking me to do things it, it is very surreal isn't it when I used to have something like right we're going out on this day for a meal it'd be like right what time do I start drinking before we're going out making sure I behave correctly and to hide the fact that I was drunk when I was there and then what I was going to do on the way back and also what I've got left at home yeah because I can't end up left at home no matter what the night I can't get home with nothing in the house no I'm going to have to make a tactical trip to the off-licence. Mm-hmm. And it does determine everything, doesn't it? Because it takes all our control and all our, our power away. The thing is, often I'd be getting a, a lift uh, dropped home by the parents and I'd make them drop me all the way home, watch out the spy hole to watch them drive off and then as soon as they drive off, before we've even got changed, I'm back Pelled the down door, to the offing. Down to the offing, which had just passed. I think what meant thinking I was going in to buy more. And it's so all-consuming and it's exhausting. Yeah, it is. And when I look at this now, I actually have things that I'm being asked to do. I've got things that I'm trying to fit in. I've had to work out how I'm going to fit pantomime in. And I've got something else I've been offered that I've got to work out how I'm going to fit that in. And I have to have this rational and reasonable way of looking at a week or looking at a month. Yeah. And thinking, well, okay, this is reasonable. I can do this, I can do that, but I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Which... When I was drinking, it was a blank diary anyway, really. Yeah, yeah. Unless I had a forced appointment. Yeah. Which was somewhere like the doctor's or the hospital or anything to do with clinging hopelessly to this idea Mm -hmm. that I was going to be able to stop. Mm -hmm. And then turn around and tell everyone, no, it was all a bad dream, it didn't really happen. Yeah. Of course I'm able to stop, look at what I've done. Mm -hmm. Aren't I brilliant? When actually I knew in the pit of my stomach that there was no way I was stopping unless I did an enforced circuit break. And, of course, go into treatment and I have no social calendar at all. And this is what a lot of people in treatment complain about. Yeah. Because there's this vision of, I should have a social calendar now because I'm clean and sober. Mm-hmm. But actually I'm not clean and sober when I'm in treatment. I need to be directed around what to do and when. Mm-hmm. Because I need to be rebooted defragged, recalibrated and I need to restart again new because otherwise I will never get through this phase of managing a social calendar at all Mm -hmm. because if I don't think about it I'll say yes to everything or I'll say no to everything Mm -hmm. there's no in between and it's a bugger isn't it saying yes to something you don't really want to do because we all do it I've done that a few times and I'm like and then you're dreading the day the day comes it's like oh 
There's half my day gone. Why have I agreed to do this? Yeah. Why did I say yes to this? Of all the things I could have said yes to, <laughs> this is the worst possible thing. And of course, all I had to do was reasonably say, oh no, I don't think I can fit that in. Mm. Or try and put it off and say, can we do it in a couple of months? Or even, can I come back to you on that? And let me yeah, see if you can do and, it. and I'm allowed to do that. Mm. It's, whereas, of course, towards the end of my social drinking, which was a long time ago, mm-hmm. it was 20 years ago, the end of my social drinking, well, best part of 20 years, mm-hmm. I was desperately saying yes whenever anyone did say yeah. we're going out because it was so rare for me to be asked to go Should anywhere. Because I was such a liability, and while people didn't say it, they knew it. Mm-hmm. And then it's a really uncommon feeling moving on from the rehab process and people asking me would you like to do this or should we go and do that I'm thinking I never get asked to do these things and it takes me a while to connect it to the fact that it's actually because I'm not a complete wanker to be around Mm. because the booze has been taken away going out for a meal was always a strange I I used to hate going out for a meal because it would spoil the buzz it gets in the way of the booze Mm. and also it's very difficult to keep to the tally I'd expect to keep to yeah if I'm having a civilised meal with other people there and they're all watching me. Mm. I can't get chasers in. I can't sneak out. Am I going to take a hip flask? There's all sorts of considerations. And it's that going back to keeping all the plates spinning again. Yeah. In order to maintain drinking what I've decided I need to drink, Mm -hmm. how am I going to manage this? And the amount of mental energy that goes into all of that, when it comes to going out for the meal, I'm not listening to anyone. No. I'm not engaged with anyone. You're just thinking about, if I sneak up to the bar now to get the round in and order an extra double or quadruple vodka, and that before I go back to the table, that's what I used to do. Yeah, that's what I need to be able to do, isn't it? Mm. Definitely. I think it's important that we learn, like anything in recovery, to manage our social engagement Mm -hmm. and to manage them in a reasonable way. The other thing I would say is that when I look at my calendar now, mm-hmm. meetings are not social engagement. Yeah. While I will see people there that I may not see anywhere else, mm-hmm. if I want to speak to people socially around an AA meeting, then I will go earlier. Yeah. Or I will stay later. It's not part of the meeting for me. Mm-hmm. Social is when I see my friends. Mm-hmm. Going out socially is something that I'm not that big on doing nowadays. I don't want to do it every night. I can't understand why I ever did. And it's something that I have to have a rational approach to, but it's something I use the calendar for, all these logical things I now do, (laughs) which are still anathema to me, even four years on. My God, I've been asked to do that? How the hell did they ask me to do that? Why on earth have they asked me to do that? It's the old adage, isn't it? AA was the first time I went somewhere and they invited me back. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where it begins, because mm-hmm. when that happens, and I start doing other things, I get invited back to those mm-hmm. too, which is a wonderful thing. Now, as I take it, Reg is going to see Norman, oh. because of the Dalton twins. Of the Dalton, all the, three of them. The, all three of the twins. So let's see what Norman has to say. Norm? He puts the platform on his shoes. Are you there? Yes, he puts the platform. Norman! Oh, it's you. Well, who else would I be? I wasn't expecting you today. I live here, Norman. Yeah, I forgot, but you promised. I don't remember promising anything, but what was it? Mini Norman. He's in trouble. Mini Norman? Yeah. Who? You know. I don't. Mini Norman? Yeah. My robot? Your robot? Yeah, don't you remember? Sorry, Norman, I don't know what you're talking about. But? Did you imagine the conversation again? 
I don't. It's alright if you did, as it happens to the best of us. Does it? Yes. But I'm sure. Norman, if you told me about your robot, I would have noticed and I would have remembered. Yeah, point taken. And you definitely did not tell me about Mini Norman. I didn't. No. But I told you about him. I'm sure I didn't I? No. Oh. So, why don't you tell me now? Okay. But if you suddenly remember... In that unlikely event, I will stop you. However, as you know, there is nothing wrong with my memory. Unlike mine. Never mind. Tell me about him now. Right. As usual, it all began with an idea. Yes, as per usual. An idea which grew. Was this a carefully cultivated idea, or did you act spontaneously? Is that important? Not usually, but it might be. Why? Because if it was all a spontaneous thing, that would readily explain why you've not told me when you thought you had. Would it? Yes. I don't understand. You don't need to. No? No. So tell me about Minnie Norman. My initial idea was to find a surveillance device that could move around a room or building without being noticed. More plausible than it might first appear. Well, I thought so. Good. Is it? What? Good. Of course. Why? Because where would we be without big ideas? Ideas that may have seemed ridiculous at the time, but that have changed the world forever. Aha. What? That's when I realised how to cultivate the idea. Yeah? Definitely. You didn't do it literally, did you? What? Cultivate your idea. I don't understand. In the ground. Of course not. Why would I do that? Just a thought. Why? You've done it before, Norman. Have I? Although you were very ill at the time. Oh, you mean plastic toilet roll? Yeah, among others. You're right, son. It wasn't very well. But you're okay now? Yep. Focus too. Good, because I'm going to need your help. Really? Yeah. I might need Mini Norman too, so please explain. Right. You see, if I just maintain the idea of surveillance, chances are that MI6 or the CIA would come and kill me to steal it. Really? Well, yes. I thought they already had drones. They do. So why would they want Mini Norman? I know what they're like, they just would. Maybe, but if they've got the right sort of equipment already, why steal someone else's? They've always had him for me. Indeed, although we've never seen any evidence. We have. When? What about that time they tried to assassinate me at the village feet in Tipton? Norman, that was not the Secret Service. It was one crazy farmer what was trying to wipe out the parish council. Don't you remember the rest? What happened after? Ah, oh, that was how they dressed it up, but he, 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 he was the patsy. Who? The farmer? Of course, the whole thing went up down like JFK. Did it? Oh yeah. Not sure about that. You weren't there, Rich. According to a few too many witnesses, neither was Lee Harvey Oswald. That we'll never know. However, we do know that someone else killed JFK, don't we? We do. However, you are not the American president, are you? No, no, but... You're a cat suffering from chronic paranoid attacks what lives in a converted bat cave at an undisclosed location in the Birmingham area. True. So a rogue farmer with a murderous grudge against the parish council, causing chaos with his gun at a village fate, is not quite the same as the assassination of JFK, is it? That's not what I meant, Reg, and you know it. Do what? It was really shooting at me because I pushed open his barn door and several, several animals escaped. You sure? Yeah. So the farmer got an indefinite sentence as in currently incarcerated at Broadmoor because he wanted to kill a cat. See, I told you it was a cover-up. Your logic is very strange, Norman. I know. Mm. Anyway, tell me about your robot. Yes, I need you to be more than just a drone. Yes. Because drones can't think for themselves. Can't they? No. Couldn't they be self-aware without us knowing? What? 
waiting for the opportunity to rain down on us fully weaponised. Even me, that would be a ridiculous idea, but from you? I mean like in Terminator. Really? Drones? No. I can prove they're not self-aware, or rather they haven't been. I think I know where this is going. Really? I thought this was pretty innovative. It's very innovative, Norman. And for once, it's actually logical too. See, I knew I'd win you over. Believe it or not, you often do. Really? Yeah. So why are you always taking a piece out of it? Keep you grounded. Really? Yes, your paranoid landscapes and your inventions are an excellent tool by which to keep oneself safe, although every so often you do go a little bit too far. Point taken. So you made your robot self-aware? I've tried to, yeah. Did it work? I'd be lying if I didn't say it had a few little teething problems here and there. But he can move unnoticed in a target location. Yes. And relay pictures, voice recordings. Yes, hooked up to a laptop. No wires, leads and such. No, he's wireless. He can take evasive action when necessary. Yes. Can he carry explosives? I'm still teaching him. Oh? He doesn't understand that he's supposed to walk away from the bomb. I see. He's a bit of a uh, nihilistic, you see. Oh, right. I've got to get him to understand that I want him to return after each mission. Oh, yeah. Because he seems to think he's saving the world. Oh, so like Bruce Willis in Armageddon, he goes to certain death so that others might live. Unfortunately, and he complains about being bold. Is he sober, too? What do you mean? Does your robot have an identity crisis? Possibly, however... Does he think he's Bruce Willis? Yes. Then he'll be perfect for what I need. Will he? Yeah. Is he the only patent, though? Oh, no, the one thinks he's Steven Seagal. I suggest you make a third who thinks he's Chuck Norris. Are we allowed to do that? Don't we need Chuck's permission? Probably. Maybe you should find out. Yes, anyway, um, why do we need a combat rollant surveillance module? That's just it. What? reason I came today. Sounds ominous. It is. What's up, Reg? The Dalton twins. No, not... Yes, all three of them. Are they coming after you? Worse than that, it's all of us. We need a plan, Rich. Yeah, we do. The robot. I see Norman with a little stick with one glass eye on it. Oh, a monocle. <laughs> yeah, that's it. One of those. Like Blofeld, Very sitting there in his lair, which mm. is underground, with his his monocle in his hand, <laughs> over his eye, and. Uh, Maybe actually, unlike in James Bond, where, of course, it's Blofeld turns round in the chair with the cat in his lap. Oh, yeah, yeah, So, yeah. actually, the chair just turns round with Norman curled in the chair. Isn't and then he gets Bond? up with yeah. his monocle. Yeah. Danger Mouse. I once taught a kid whose surname was Bond, oh, and his father's that. name was James. Really? And so, when it came to parents' evening, I arranged with Simon. Mm-hmm. I said, right, I'm going to do the James Bond thing on him. <laughs> and so, I got this little cat fake cat puppet and just twisted the chair around because when Simon came across said he's coming he's coming and then just flipped around and went ah good evening Monsieur Bond and this guy just cracked and said ah I haven't come to save the world I've just come to talk about my son anyway we have reached time so we will love you and leave you and we will be back next week if you would like to contact us about any anything you can find us on the Changes Facebook page or at Recovery Central on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Particularly interested in hearing stories around any angle on addiction, whether you are a family member, a friend, a co-worker, an acquaintance, or whether you are the addict or the alcoholic yourself. We want to hear your stories. The more stories, the better. Even if you just want to send us a picture of your cat. Oh, absolutely, yes. We'll take pictures of cats. 
could become a special cat, a guide cat. No, guide cat. That was Hayland Post, wasn't it? Yeah. The guide cat. We'll have a little catwalk. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you have been affected in any way, shape or form by anything you've heard today, then there is help out there. Please look it up. Please make that phone call. That's all it takes to begin with, is one phone call. And sometimes it's just one phone call to say, I'm in trouble. Yeah, and one phone call can save a life, which can save many lives. Absolutely. So have a lovely weekend and we'll be back next week. Bye. See you soon.